Good evening. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 17. We'll be in verses 11 through 19 uh, this evening. And then while you're turning there, I just want to ask a question. And you don't have to raise your hand or anything for this, but um, just I want to get a just kind of get a sense of how many people uh, in this room have raised kids before. And, and as I ask that question, even without seeing hands, I'm I'm guessing that a large portion, I know there are certain people raising kids right now, and I'm guessing that a large portion of the people in this room have or are raising children. And, um, but I do know that, um, that quite a few people are still left out of that, myself included. And so because I, I want to try to include as many people as I can um, in the illustration that I'm about to use, I just want to broaden the question a little bit more. So how many of you at any point in your life have either raised children, been raised, uh, uh, are raising children, or have been raised as a child? And I think, I think with that, we can get everybody included in the illustration. If still you're unable to raise your hand, I don't know what to tell you. Um, come talk to me after the service because I would love to find out how that is possible. Now, the reason that I ask the question is because we're going to be working through this evening what a biblical understanding of thanksgiving is or thankfulness is as we look at Luke chapter 17. And my hope is that because we have all raised children or been children ourselves raised into adulthood, that we can relate to um, the illustration that I'm uh, going to use. And so as children, we've probably learned to give thanks from our parents. Uh, let's say we receive dessert after dinner, or we, another child shares their toy with us. Again and again, as, as we raise our children, or as we were raised, we heard the words, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Again and again. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is a good thing. It's good for us to learn to respond appropriately with gratitude in the situations that we uh, find ourselves. And I remember as I was growing up learning to say thanks uh, after every meal at the dinner table. We weren't allowed to leave until uh, we said, thank you for the food, may I please be excused. And I remember sitting at the table for a long time some nights because I didn't want to say it. But um, from a young age, most of us are teaching our kids or we're taught as children to say thanks. But there's something that happened as I began to grow older. So growing up, I had learned to express gratitude for certain things. But something deeper began to play out in my life as I grew. Now, not only was I thankful for, for the things that my parents had done for me growing up, but I began to de develop a thankfulness towards my parents. I began to see the sacrifices that they had made on behalf of myself. I, I began to understand the love, the depth of love towards me, uh, and it caused me to respond not just to the things that they did for me, but also to begin to respond to them as my parents. And do you see the difference in uh, my growing understanding of my thankfulness towards my parents. Can you see the difference? Has that, 
I, I'm, I'm guessing that that's been an experience for, for a lot of us as we've grown older as well. As I matured in gratitude, my thankfulness no longer revolved only around the things that I received from my parents, but began to extend outward towards my parents themselves. And so no longer was I thankful only for things, but I was also thankful to someone for those things. And so as we talk about biblical gratitude this evening, I want you to see that thanksgiving, thankfulness, it is, it's not less than giving thanks for the blessings that we've received, but it's so much more than that. And I think Luke 17, it paints, paints a beautiful picture of this. And so if you haven't turned there yet, Luke 17 can be found on page 876, I believe, of uh, the Bibles under the seat in front of you, if you're using those. Um, and let's read that together. So Luke 17, starting in verse 11, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Then he saw, when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. And now let's pray together as we ask for his help to apply it to our lives. Father, we of all people have much for which that we can be thankful you have done so much in our lives. You have saved us from our sin. You have brought us out of death, out of darkness, and into light. You have given us a family, a spiritual family. You have made us your sons and daughters. And Father, that's just scratching the surface. You have given us so much in Christ. And we praise you for those things. And yet, Father, we do not want to forget that you are the giver. You are the one who has accomplished this work. And, and Father, we pray that you would teach us not simply to be grateful for the things that you have given us, but to be grateful towards you as the giver. Father, we need your help in this, especially as we enter this season of thanksgiving this, these holidays in which we're reminded of things for which we are thankful, or, or as we approach the Christmas holidays and we, we begin to be thankful for Christ and his coming to this earth to die for our sins. Father, do not let us separate the blessings from the one who has given us so much. Father, we pray for your help in these things, and we pray them in Christ's name. Amen. So as I was reading the passage over and over this week, I couldn't help but be baffled by the response of these men that Jesus had healed. Because, because of their leprosy, they had become uh, outcasts among their own people, probably 
for years, many times for years at a time. And, be, and, and before we continue, I just want to paint a quick picture uh, in case you're not aware of what life was like for the leprous person at this time. And so Leviticus 13 gives us a picture of how God instructs Israel to relate to those who have leprosy. And so in, in two verses, there's a whole chapter on this, but I'm just going to read two verses. Um, in, in verse 45 and 46 of Leviticus 13, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let, their hair, let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the, the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so this was their reality. And so as, as these men see Jesus approaching, they, they stay at a safe distance as they're called to do, and yet they cry out to Jesus from a distance and cry out for mercy. And, and Jesus, as he hears that, he, re, he responds to them. Now, what I think is interesting about Jesus' response is that he tells them to do exactly what a cured leper was required to do. And so he responds to them as if they're already cured. They still have leprosy, and yet he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And so according to the Levitical law, I didn't read all of it out of, out of Luke 13, and I think it continues into chapter 14. Um, there were laws that, um, that told the priests how to deal with lepers who had been healed. And so according to that law, the leper was to only go to the priest after they had been cured of the disease and, and they were to be examined by the priest. And then once he had determined that the disease was gone, he, he would instruct them to perform an eight-day uh, cleansing ceremony and then they could be reunited with family, friends, back into society. And so after hearing Jesus' instructions, he's treating them as if they're already cured. They go off on their way to see the priest. And as they go, it says that they were cleansed of their leprosy. And this brings us to the portion of the text that I really want to slow down and focus on this evening. So as these men go, and as they are cleansed of their leprosy, how did they respond and so I just want to reread, starting in verse 15. It says, Then one of them, so they're all on their way to see the priest, and it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so what we find here is that Jesus heals all ten lepers. Yet only one of them returns to thank him. And doesn't that, as you think about that, doesn't that baffle you as you think that these men have been living with a disease probably for years at a time that had left them isolated and abandoned by family, friends, their entire society. And Jesus had just given all of that back to them. And then only one of them thought to turn and thank him for it. 
And, and as you hear Jesus' response, you can hear the confusion. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this one man? Where are the others, he asked. And I'm, I'm positive, as, I, as you think about this, I'm positive that the other nine were thankful. I'm positive that they were thankful. And, and I think we can sympathize with them to a degree. After all, they were excited to reunite with family and friends. After all, Jesus had told them to go see the priest. I'm sure they were extremely thankful for their healing. And yet these men were so busy loving their healing that they had completely forgotten the healer. And as we think about that, I want you to think about your own life this evening. Is it possible that our own view of thankfulness be, can be quite similar to that of the nine lepers? And as, as, as the holiday seasons approach, especially Thanksgiving, I've been trying to pay attention, even as, I'm, as I was preparing for this sermon, paying attention to what I'm hearing on radio, TV, in various social circles. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about the secular world. I'm also trying to hear what I'm uh, pay attention to what I'm hearing on Christian radio and in, with my circle of friends and things like that. And, and Thanksgiving, it's often a time where people are expressing why we are thankful. And that's what, that's what you primarily hear about during this time of the year. And I'm, uh, I'm sure even that many of us have a tradition of around the Thanksgiving table, we'll sit around and share something that we're thankful for, whether it's friends, family, a job, a home, health, whatever it may be. And that's all good stuff. Scripture, scripture encourages, commands us to be thankful for the things uh, that we have received. And yet my hope is that our thankfulness for the things that we have been given will become much more like the thankfulness of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 17. My hope is that our thankfulness this holiday season will, will become a thankfulness that's not only for certain things, but it's also a thankfulness that is pointed towards someone, towards Christ. And so nothing physical that we've been given has been given to us apart from God's gracious provision in our lives. No spiritual work in our lives has happened apart from God's redemptive grace towards us in Christ. We, of all people, should know who to thank. As Christians, we are the only people who can be truly, truly thankful. And as I thought about that, I came across um, some writings uh, uh, from a man by the name of G.K. Chesterton. Many of you might know that name. He was a well-known um, man uh, of his time, and, and he's, he's also well-known for making his points uh, maybe in more of like a dramatic or a witty fashion. And, and in some of his writing, he, he, he's speaking to uh, his atheistic friends, and he says this about thankfulness. He says, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. And in saying this, what I think Chesterton was, was identifying was a profound reality about thankfulness, that we can be thankful for material objects. We can be thankful for so many things in our lives, but we can never be thankful to those things. 
We can wake up in the morning and go sit out on the deck and be thankful for the beautiful weather, but I'm willing to bet that, that no one has ever sat there and actually thanked the weather personally for being so beautiful. And why is that? I think it's because as believers, we understand that there is someone behind the weather. We understand that the weather does not control itself. Someone controls the weather. Just like when a race car driver wins a race, we don't praise the car. We praise and celebrate the driver of the car. And so as Christians, we can praise and thanks, thank God for things like the weather or health or whatever else because we know he is the one behind it all. We have someone to thank. Who does the atheist have to thank? No one when it comes to those things. And as I studied and, and was preparing for this sermon, I also came across an old sermon by Charles Spurgeon. And if you can ever work a Spurgeon quote into a sermon, it's a good thing. And so I, I try to do that sometimes. And um, in his sermon, uh, he, he's doing a sermon on, uh, through the book of Romans. And um, he says in this sermon, again, it is equally clear that every blessing any child of God can need, he can have. He that spared not his own son, when we were without strength and ungodly, cannot deny us inferior blessings now that we are his own dear children. Go, child of God. Go with confidence to your heavenly Father. He gave you Jesus. What can he keep back from you? What then? Let us ask the question once more, and I think a spontaneous overflow of gratitude should furnish our reply. If when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly, let us praise him. Let us praise him. Oh, if he came when there was nothing to draw him, when if he looked us through and through, he could not see any good point in us, if he loved us so that he would save us when we were altogether bad, hopeless, and helpless, why, the very least thing we can ever do is to love him and praise him as long as we have any being. And then as Spurgeon, as he closes the sermon a couple um, minutes later, he ends with this description that he gives of a recent conversation that he's had with a woman who was not yet a believer. And as he's sharing the gospel with this woman and describing to her all that Christ uh, has accomplished and, and that she needs to repent of her sin and trust in Christ by faith. Um, he, he describes this, and in sharing the gospel, he, he describes that this woman turns to him as she's beginning to wrestle with the realities of what Christ has done. And she says to him, If Jesus Christ does save me, he shall never hear the end of it. And as believers in Christ we have been healed of far more than the lepers of Luke 17. Our dead and rebellious hearts have been brought to life in Christ. We have received unfathomable blessing because of our union with Christ. We understand that all the physical blessings that we have received, whether it's health or family or whatever else, are completely from him. And yet, do you find yourself this evening mostly thankful for the blessings that God has given you? Or are you, like the Samaritan, uh, shifting 
and appropriately directing that thanksgiving towards the one that has blessed you. And so through our union with Christ, we can draw near to God with our thanksgiving because he has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word. We can know the one in whom we are to be thankful. The nine lepers in the passage this evening, they missed the point. Yes, I'm sure there was a level of thankfulness, and yet their vague gratitude was not an appropriate response to what Christ had done in their lives. He didn't just want them to be healed. He wanted their hearts. He wanted their affection. And by failing to return to Christ in thankfulness, they missed out on so much more. And so as we close, I just I want to think about the dynamics of our relationship with Christ for a moment. I, I want you to appreciate the weight of blessing that has been given to us in Christ. And I want us to appreciate Christ for that blessing. So when it comes to our salvation and growth as believers, Christ is the one who died on the cross to purchase our forgiveness. He is the one who gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. It is God who makes us his sons and daughters. He alone has guaranteed our inheritance. He is the one who meets our daily needs, both physical and spiritual. He is the one who has brought us into a new community of believers. Even the gifts that we have been given as believers have been given to us by God. And this is what God has done and is doing in our lives. And I just want to point out the fact that none of this is a work that we have accomplished of our own. Everything that I've just described is a work that God produces and works out in our lives. We don't earn any of it. And, and yet, the gracious work of God in our lives should produce within us a response. And I just want to finish up this evening by, by reading a few passages real quick that model for us how we are called to respond to the Lord based on all that he has done. I think scripture, this is, I'm just going to read a couple verses. The scriptures are filled with these responses. Even as Paul writes his epistles, we see that at times he just stops to give praise to God in the midst of his addressing whatever he's addressing we see this again and again in the Psalms all over Scripture. We have this model of what it looks like to respond to God's work in our lives. And so Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal, triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everyone, everywhere. 2 Corinthians 9 states, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Colossians 1, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have a redemption, 
the forgiveness of our sins. So as we, as, we, as we think time and time again, the Bible is clear that hearts that have been changed in Christ are hearts that give thanks to God for the work that he has done in our lives. It's a heart that responds not only to his blessing, but to him who has blessed us greatly. And none of that is to say that we just sit around and thank him without also seeking to obey Christ, to confess sin, to love our neighbors, and everything else that scripture calls us to do. But, but we see clearly in Colossians 3, but what, in whatever we do, in word or deed, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so our encouragement this holiday season is to be a thankful people. Absolutely, we are to be a thankful people. We have so much to be thankful for, but don't just be thankful for things. I encourage you to learn to be thankful to the one who has provided us with all that we have, both physically and especially spiritually. And so let's pray together this evening and thank Christ for all that he has done. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for so much uh, of what he has done in our lives. And Father, we know that, that we often uh, disconnect the blessing from the blessing giver, from the healing from the healer. And yet, Father, you are the great healer. You are the great physician. You are the one who makes dead hearts beat again. You are the one who has produced all of this in our lives. Teach us to draw near to you, even as we respond in thankfulness to the things that you have given us. Father, as we, as we think about celebrating Thanksgiving tomorrow, as Christians, we have so much to be thankful for. And, 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 and Father, I pray that our, the testimony of our lives and the way in which we, we express our thankfulness would be a testimony to those around us, that we know where all of these things have come from that we are thankful for. And that through that, people would see the light and the glory of Christ as they understand and, and begin to see the thankfulness that we have to Christ for what he has done. Father, we pray uh, for your help in these things. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.